Hello and welcome to another episode of the Godly Ground Podcast, where we train soldiers to be better Christians and Christians to be better soldiers. I'm your host, John Cooper, and uh, today we continue our series on voting with an open Bible. Uh, we have gone through a lot of topics. Again, if you're just now joining us on this, uh, we did a, we did this series. It was a series I taught at my church Sunday school um, for a few weeks. If you want to watch those and <clears throat> see me fumble through that, <laughs> um, you can go on YouTube at a Niagara Community Church in Niagara Falls um, to see that. But here we're doing a little extended. Those were 15-minute segments because I had to do two per Sunday school class uh, for four weeks. And here we have a lot more time uh, to really expound on these topics. So the topic of today is economic policies or philosophy. Uh, and what we're going to be talking about really, in essence, is socialism versus capitalism. Um, and and just the, the philosophy behind both of them. Which one is more in line with the Bible? I want to start off by saying that uh, you, if you live in a socialist society, um, and these things are required of you because you're a citizen there, you are not in sin because you are in that situation. Um, nor capitalism. If you are in there, this is the system that's around you. This is the government, the economy, the way it all runs. You're not in sin if that's the part of society you're in. Um, but we need to know which one is more in line with the Bible uh, when we're voting. Because really, over the past 20 years, we've seen a major shift in one of the uh, economic party, or excuse me, political parties um, that praises socialism. I mean, we had a, uh, and here in Western New York, I live in Niagara Falls, New York, and Buffalo last year had a woman run for mayor who was openly a socialist, um, which I had never seen uh, before, at least here in New York. Uh, so usually everyone was on the side of capitalism uh, for the past few years because that was our mode of economy and people were on were on the side of capitalism they maybe a little bit further off but never no one was ever an open socialist um it was kind of a taboo to be called that but now um the left side of the aisle seems to have moved <clears throat> more and more towards socialist policies well the right side of the aisle has maintained its long-lasting relationship with the capitalist policies and even though we're going to be here for probably half hour, 40 minutes, whatever it ends up being, um, it's still impossible to talk about all of this <laughs> in, in one segment. Um, everything we need to cover. Because the Bible doesn't come out and say, thou shalt be socialist, or in capitalism, I will bless, right? Um, we need to be able to decipher through a lot of Old Testament laws and principles to figure out what is the principle that are being said here. Um, Christ and Capital is a podcast uh, that's like an economic um, Christian podcast. It's That's really good. So I commend that to you if you want to figure out more of what the Bible is saying about uh, economics and your money. Um, and again, like I said, I, I don't believe, a, believe that every country is in sin that doesn't follow the certain systems. 
um you know as in you know if there's a if you're in a socialist country and you live there and there's a, a church there that church shouldn't um their main concern shouldn't be railing against uh the socialist society or capitalist or whatever it is so um some christians do not have a choice uh so but here we can vote for our leaders and with that said in this session we'll discuss the biblical view of socialism and capitalism as it's presented in our culture and by understanding these views we may might make a better decision on what politicians to vote for uh there have been people and this is in the past, I mean, I'm sure it goes further uh, than just the past few years when I've seen it, but have suggested that Jesus and the early Christians were socialists. Uh, these same people would say that capitalism is strictly based off of greed and is made by those who have to put down those who have not. Uh, these are common arguments, even in Christian circles. And so I want to quickly look at these arguments and discuss what the Bible says about our finances. First, we're going to look at the argument that Jesus was a socialist and, the, and then the early church. So the basis for be, Jesus being a socialist is founded in his interaction with the rich young ruler and also his frequent reference to giving to the poor. And the encounter with the rich young ruler can be found in the Synoptic Gospels in Matthew 19, Mark 10, and Luke 18. And in this interaction, Jesus, uh, or, sorry, in this interaction, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus he asked, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, keep the commandments. Um, and then he replies, well, I've kept all the commandments since my youth. And Jesus replies back to him, well, then give away everything you have to the poor and follow me. And then he walks away ashamed because he had a lot of riches and he won't do it. And Jesus grieves for this young man, this rich young ruler. Because he won't give away his riches. Jesus then says, it's easier for a camel to pass with the eye of the needle than a rich man to enter heaven. So Jesus here is telling a man to sell all his possessions. This is what this is the argument. Jesus is telling a man to sell all his possessions and become, you know, basically share his wealth with everyone. And he won't do it. And then Jesus is saying it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And for the early church, the proof text is usually this. It's Acts 2, 43 to 47, which says, And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were dividing them up with all, as anyone might have need. And the daily devoting themselves with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. And they were taking their meals together in gladness with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were saved. And there are people who I've literally heard, they take this verse and they say, see, if we just became socialists, the church would grow. The church would grow if America, a nation, became socialist. That's the argument. And we see in the early church that about 3,000 people were saved. So then they start selling their possessions and caring for one another. And here they all lived in, in like a commune and they gave 
to to each other equally. And it does sound a lot like socialism. That all people would live equally with equal income, equal health care, no private property, and everyone shares and loves. Meanwhile, the argument against capitalism from these same people is rooted and grounded in the love of money. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.10, for those who love money, or excuse me, for the love of money is the root of all evil. And some by aspiring to it have <clears throat> wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And usually what this is said is they leave out the word love, <laughs> for money is the root of all evil. For also we know that capitalism seeks to help the man at the top, right? That's what that's what's said here. And if a person is successful, they can continue to gain wealth. Well, a man who is not as talented or from a rough upbringing has a harder time. And therefore, it is on the government to equal the playing field, is what's said. I don't believe that these arguments hold water. When you hear about those who promote socialism and economic policy, their main argument is as follows. It's time for the rich to pay their fair share. Of course, fair share is never defined. <laughs> but if someone is very rich and successful and others live in poverty, the government or people must take from that rich person via taxation, which taxation is not wrong, and distribute that person's wealth to others. Now, I, I don't know a lot about tax policy or I don't pretend to be an expert on these things, but I remember Herman Cain, uh, who ran for president, I think it was 2008, he had a what he called the 999 plan, which was a flat tax. Everyone paid 9% and everything across the board was 9%, 999. And it was just every tax that we do is 9% on everyone. That way it is fair. <laughs> that way the rich are paying their, quote, fair share. I'm seeing a, a video of Josh Allen's salary, and they showed all the taxes that he gets from being in New York. And he was ending up with, it was like, 58% of his entire income was taxed. Those of you who don't know, Josh Allen is the quarterback of the Buffalo Bills. And he started off with like $42 million and he ended with like twenty five dollars or something like that. It was insane just how much taxes were taken out of his, his income. Um, so for us to then look at him, which we would never look at him. We look at successful businessmen. We don't look at athletes or entertainers and say, well, the rich need to pay their fair share. Well, I don't pay 50% of my income in taxes. <laughs> he does. So when we're talking about pay their fair share, we need to know that Maybe a flat tax is the best way to do it. I don't know. I don't hear many people proposing it, so maybe it isn't the smartest thing to do, or maybe it is a smart thing to do, but no one proposes it. <laughs> well, that mentality, it's time for that person who has more money than me 
to pay more so I don't have to do or so my neighbor doesn't have to do. Sounds a lot like this. Exodus 20, 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male slave or female slave or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the 10th commandment from the basic moral law of God. Socialism is a violation of this commandment. In reality, it's a violation of four commandments, which includes one and two, making God the governor, excuse me, making the government God, because God gives and takes away, not the government. And eight, which is stealing wages from others. And then again, 10. That the people see in power, that the people in power see what others have and think that it's their prerogative to take it from them and give it to others. The people crying to take wealth of those who have much are coveting what they have. And you can hear it in their voices. They're envious of the wealth and they want it for their own. You know, Bill Gates shouldn't be allowed to have that much money. Or Jeff Bezos shouldn't be allowed to have that much money. Talk about Jeff Bezos. And yet you still go and buy from Amazon. <laughs> you you talk about how evil Elon Musk is for how rich he is. Yet you want to push electric cars. So really you don't care that much about how much money they have. You just see what they have and you want it for their own or your own. The thing is, though, when you take from them, as history shows, very few people still are wealthy. And now everyone else is impoverished. You're all equal in your poverty. Well, you may say, what about when Jesus commanded the rich young ruler to sell his possessions and the early church like we just looked at? But there's a major difference here between socialism, which forced the government, forces your money to others, and what they did. And here's what it is. It's 2 Corinthians 9, 5 through 11. So I regarded it necessary to encourage the brothers that they would go on ahead of you and arrange beforehand your previously promised blessing. So that the same would be ready as a blessing and would not be as a begrudging obligation. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows with blessing will also reap with blessing. Each one must do just as he has proposed in his heart, not grudgingly over or under not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace abound to you, so that in everything, at every time, having every sufficiency, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he who is scattered abroad, he gave to the needy. His righteousness stands forever. Now he who supplies seed and the sower and the bread for food will, will supply and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for, for all generosity which through us is bringing about thanksgiving in God. 
There's a lot in here. <laughs> Main thing for our discussion, God loves a cheerful giver. Giving is done out of a heart of love and compassion, not of out of coercion and taxation or taxation. And this is why the most wealthy people among us in our society give to so much to charities or, or uh, found charitable organizations. They invest their money in organizations that they believe in and causes and or <clears throat> and in those causes and use their wealth to attempt to solve a social issue that is on their heart and mind. I mean, think about that. The people who give most to charity are the richest among us. I mean, it just makes sense. Uh, I think it's Bill Gates. He founded his charity to give mosquito nets to uh, to people out in you know the Amazon or wherever because it's because the mosquitoes will have the West Nile virus. He's produced millions of these mosquito nets. You know all these NFL players. Most of them have charitable organizations. I remember when uh, the Bills got into the playoffs and Andy Dalton threw that touchdown um, against the Ravens to send the Bills in the playoffs for the first time in I forget how many years it was. And everyone donated his charitable organization. He raised like $400,000. And he came to the city to thank, to thank us here in Buffalo area. But here's an example of a guy who's got multi-million dollars. And he now uses his money to set up a charitable organization. Before we move on on this, I just want to I just want to have another thing in here about in First Corinthians nine five through eleven. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows blessing will reap blessing. There's a, there's a a theme in the Bible about giving and giving to the Lord's work that He will bless in return. I work for a uh, Christian nonprofit organization, the Niagara Gospel Mission, where we care for. Uh, the homeless and needy around us. We um, have a life transformation program. We have a homeless shelter for men. We have res- low-income residential housing um, for guys. It's all it's all men right now. We're looking to build a women and children's shelter. But I work uh, as a development director, which means I'm the one who goes out and gets you know hunts the bread. <laughs> um, I have seen people who have tons of money and give tons of money to us out of just the generosity of their heart. And I've seen people who don't have that much money, but still monthly give $5 because that's what they can spare to the work of the Lord. And God blesses both of those. We're, we're enriched, or God enriches people with generosity, and he enriches those who are generous. He who supplies the seed to the sower and the bread for food will supply and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all generosity, which through us is bringing about thanksgiving to God. He who supplies the seed, the Lord gives and takes away. And when the Lord gives us means, he, he doesn't just expect us to 
donate to or tithe, excuse me, not donate to our church and to give back to his work in our local church. But he expects us to look for ways to advance his kingdom. And again, that's what I <clears throat> I see that in my work is people who have that that mind among them that they're going to work, they're going to give their money to the kingdom work, and they're going to come in and volunteer. They're going to give their time as well. You know, the seed here is is talking about money, but also we we know that that uh, your time is is valuable. My time is valuable. So giving time sometimes is is more effective than giving the money. So I'd encourage you, um, obviously, I'd encourage you to donate to the Niagara Gospel Mission as we help homeless veterans, as I do at the end of all these episodes. Encourage that. Um, I oversee the veteran program there. It's a it's a good program. We're helping homeless vets. We're giving them the gospel uh, and homeless men and homeless women. Um, and we house the homeless men and homeless male veterans. But um, I'd encourage you to find something that you're passionate about if it isn't the Niagara Gospel Mission I, I I would hope it is you can contact me and we can talk about the Niagara Gospel Mission but I'd encourage you to give to an organization that you believe in what they're doing and you may think that these people who make multi-million dollars you know well they're donating for the tax break right they're donating so they can get that that tax break that that receipt that they can give into their taxes and policies that encourage giving to nonprofits like the tax breaks that are offered to those who donate to charity fall in line with the government promoting good, <laughs> their role. Romans uh, 13, 3-4. Christians are to give out of their abundance to help people. And the people in the early church cared for one another and gave their resources up willingly to help those in need. We as Christians are commanded to care for the poor and give to the efforts like the Niagara Gospel Mission uh, where I work cheerfully. We're, we're to, to give on the abundance of our hearts and our work. And so the question arises if socialism at its very core is a violation of the 10th commandment, is capitalism any better? And also, just before we move on, we talk about socialism. There's a lot of people who don't work, and they they feed off of what uh, is being given by others, and that is addressed in the Bible. That there was these people selling these. I believe it's in Second uh, Thessalonians. People selling all their possessions, and what ends up happening is is the is Paul is saying, no, tell them they must work. The young women who are widows who are now uh, living off the fold, tell them to go get a husband. I mean, Paul's very clear that everyone, if you're going to live in this type of society, everyone is contributing. You don't work, you don't eat, right? That's what he says. So hard work is part of the Christian life. Part of who we are as Christians, we work hard. We're not lazy. Laziness is a sin. And so the question is, is capitalism any better? Well, first off, like I said, work is not a result of the fall, but rather a good thing commanded by God. We are designed as, as in the image of God to subdue the earth, which involves working in some sense. 
Throughout scripture, we are commanded to work and work hard. We are commanded to work unto the Lord, not pleasing our earthly masters only. Along with commands to work are condemnations against laziness. Those who want to work for them, those who want others to work for them so that they do not have to go and produce or provide for their families. We are, that's what's being said is wrong. And we are responsible for our actions. To use an example, if I have student debt, if I take a loan out, it is my responsibility to pay it off. I shouldn't force someone else to pay off that debt, which was my responsibility. And really, going into debt, Proverbs tells us, makes you a slave to the debtor. So get out of it as soon as possible or don't even go into it. So we can even have a discussion if getting into debt is wrong. They are generously, uh, but if someone generously offers to pay it off, that's a lot different. Over my lifetime, um, I've had people where we were like trying, trying to figure out how we were going to make the ends meet. And people generously gave money because they felt led to do so by the spirit. And that's God generous, having people generously give. That's how this works. That's how it works. When Job goes through his trials of losing all his possessions, land, family, he, he loses everything. And he falls down on his face. And this is, this is the key right here. He falls down on his face. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. Yahweh gave. Yahweh take, has taken away. Blessed be the name of Yahweh. Job was a very wealthy man, but he rightly understood where his wealth came from. We see that God brings the increase, not us. We work hard for his glory, and he gives and takes away according to what he knows we can handle or need. There are some people who can't handle riches. Look at how many people win the lottery and then end up bankrupt within like five years. They spend it all. God gives. God takes away. And when he gives, he expects us to do something with it. One of my favorite parables is the parable of the talents. Jesus is speaking uh, about the master uh, who handed out a certain number of talents to his servants. Now we take the talents, uh, which is a, was a sum of money, and apply it to multiple things. But that or excuse me, that concept of multiple things. But the point of the parable is being a good steward and doing all we can to advance his kingdom with what has been given to us. And this is really interesting. In, in verse 15, the master, who is God, this is what he says. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each one according to his own ability. So we're told in society that you're just a, a, a product of your circumstances, and it's not fair. But God is saying he gives to each one according to his ability. According to his will. And the point of the parable isn't about who has more. It's about what are you going to do with what you're given? Are you going to invest 
your whole life into the work of the kingdom. Capitalism as a system allows the person the most autonomy to do with what God has blessed however they choose. They will answer to God for how they use their financial gain. Not that they have it. So if, if being rich is a sin, then the one who would have to be judged for that sin is God because he gives and he takes away. The care that a socialism socialist system provides or claims to provide is foolishness. God has given the care of the poor and the widow to his people. And when the church falters on this responsibility from God, the state now steps in and tries to take it over and has. And what churches have allowed to happen is in Christians is they say, well, my tax dollars go to certain things, so I'm not going to give because I get taxed for giving. In this, the state acts as God, taking from what God has given others and giving it to whom they deem worthy. And because of this, we see a generation of young people who have made government an idol and look to it and trust in it rather to God for their problems in life. Used to be people cried out to God, solve this, but now they cry out to the government. Why don't you take from that person and give to me? Why don't you make medicine that makes me well? Why don't you defend me? Instead of crying out to our rock and our redeemer. Are there people who are greedy in a capitalist society? Absolutely. But there are people who are greedy in social societies. There's people who are greedy in uh, communists. That's the person. So should a country set up ways to help the poor? Sure, it should. I have no problem with that. If, if we're such a wealthy society that we have financial things that help the poor, but I can tell you from working at a rescue mission that a lot of what the government does, at least in New York, enables people to, can, instead of... Instead of hurting them financially by their choices and they come to a place like us, now they're given enough money. They still are homeless, but now they're paying for their habits that got them to be homeless. For example, alcohol or drugs. They're still getting money from the government, from the rep payee. But their life is spiraling downwards because they're not solving the root of that issue. And that's what we strive to do in our gospels. We, we have relationships. We help them rebuild their relationships. And more importantly, a relationship with Christ. Because we know money is like gasoline. You, put, you can put it on a fire or you can put it in an engine. One destroys and one is effective. We should not be an advocate for the government to replace God and sovereignty over wealth. And when we as the church, the people of God, are given means from him, we need to follow his word and give to the needy. To actually help them. 
Start in your local church. Is there someone in your local church who's in need? Is there someone in that local congregation that is in need right now? It might be your pastor. <laughs> Pastors don't make a lot of money. Help them out. Help that person out in your church. And, and once, once our local congregation, once your local congregation has been helped, start looking and branching out. Who can you help? How can you show the love of God through your means? Life does not seem fair in our eyes. We see people get the short end of the stick at times. <clears throat> and then our cry is we want daddy government to step in and solve it. And it plays on our emotions. However, we must remember that it is the Lord who gives and the Lord who takes away. Why he does what he does is his prerogative. What we as people are responsible for is how we use the means that he has blessed us with. And so remember, the economic policy that gives the person the most freedom to do with their money what they want, to do with the money God gave them what they want, is the one most in line with God's word. And again, if you live in a socialist society, you are still commanded to give to your church and to others. And so uh, if you want to find us, you can find us on Facebook at The Godly Grunts, at Instagram on The Godly Grunts. You can email me at thegodlygrunt at gmail.com. Our website is thegodlygrunts116.wixsite.com slash my-site. We are part of the FIDE Fellowship of uh, podcasts. And so you can check those out. You can go to the FIDE Fellowship pages, their website. You can check out the other ones. Um we do a support group on the first and third uh, Monday of the month at Na Niagara Community Church, which is the church where I'm a pastor at, and uh, we do a veteran support group there. So if you're in the Niagara Buffalo Niagara area, come to our veteran support group. Also, if you would like to support homeless veterans um, in our area, we have a homeless veteran program. The support group is part of that. Um, we also connect them with their the services the VA offers, as well as uh, having an emergency shelter for veterans in the Niagara Gospel Mission. And uh, if you want to donate to that effort, like we talked about today, uh, you can go to the NiagaraGospelMission.org slash give uh, or go there and click on the Give Now or Give Today page. And so I hope you enjoyed uh, this this podcast. I hope uh, this is edifying, find it edifying to your faith. And until next time, climb for his glory. <laughs>